0: Welcome back for another amazing episode. Uh, we got another special guest with us today. Larry, go ahead and introduce our guest.
1: Hello, everybody, all the initiators. Thank you for listening. Very excited. We got Dave. Dave is a se- seven years in the mortgage industry and as a loan officer. Uh, He's the host of the House Rich Show, the real estate show, and Coins and Culture. Uh, also a Navy veteran. We always like to salute our veterans. So thank you for your service, Dave. But yeah, I'd like to introduce Dave. Dave, how are you doing this
2: morning. I'm doing doing great. Appreciate y'all having me on the the platform. So thanks thanks a lot. So um, just to dive a little bit more into my my, my life. So I'm from from DC. Like I, I'm living about 30 minutes north of Dallas right now. I never imagined myself in, in Texas um, at all. And so throughout at all. And, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really <laughs> now, I'm north of, a of that. <laughs> And so, so um, yes, yeah, so I grew up in like a, a middle class family. Uh, so my one of the things like growing up, like I didn't realize like um how like financially disciplined or, or well off my parents were until I kind of got into my my late my late twenties. But um hmm. uh, like I said, grew up in DC, they uh they forced me to go not forced me, but they highly encouraged me to um join go to the US Naval Academy. So I went to college at the the US Naval Academy. Um, upon graduating there, I spent uh six years in the Navy. And so uh, when I got out, I was like, man, because uh, I lived my whole life in the in the DMV area, and I was like, Man, I want to see what's out there in uh in the rest of the United States. Cause like I've been to 20 different countries, but I have pretty much been in Dallas, Maryland, Virginia for the majority of my life. And so, tried to make it down south. Uh, couldn't pull off the Miami move, and so ended up here in in uh, in, in Dallas. It was uh, and so far so good. It's uh yeah, so far so good. And so, I got into the mortgage industry by accident. I have a love for like education, um, real estate. I watch all the coin to real estate shows. You know, million dollar listings, flip this, flip that. And so I like teaching folks, and so I, I just naturally kind of stumbled into the the uh, the mortgage insurance. So um, so far so good. I, uh, I like it a lot.
3: And guess can you tell us a little bit about uh house rich coins and culture, like your your platform and uh, what you teach there, what you do there?
2: Yeah, yeah. So uh, things started off with coins and culture, and so how I came up with it. I was sitting around during the the pandemic, like March twenty twenty you know, working from home. So you have a lot more time on your hands when you work from home, even though I guess you're doing the same thing at work. You're supposed to be doing the same thing. Um, but I was just like, and so I never really been, I never really been a big internet guy, like Facebook, Instagram, anything like that. And so I was just kind of scrolling through Instagram one day, you know, they listen to your phone, right? And so, you know, you you kind of see what they, they what they think you to see. So I started seeing this real estate stuff and I was like, man, um, that's not actually correct. And I was like, oh, that's not correct either. I was like, oh, that's a bunch of, <laughs> that's a bunch of fluff. And so, I was like, hey, what if I create a page to start putting out information? So naturally you would think that I would start putting out real estate estate stuff, right? But Mm -hmm. no, I wanted to be a financial guru. So I started putting out like stock tips and all this stuff that I had to Google and really didn't know anything about. And so (laughs) um, of course it got like no traction because it was just generic bland information, right? And so one day I was like, Huh? You know the stuff you do for uh for work and that you're probably pretty good at. Like, how about you post something about that? And so <laughs> one day I posted this real estate post and it it said um and this will show you how long ago it was like two three years ago because this is what car prices were. It said your four hundred your BMW 328i payment is the reason you can't afford the home of your dreams. Not oh. the man. It was like something because your because the car payment was like four hundred and $83 right and so and I, and I broke down like what the car payment had to do and how it equated to a home price and all that and so like it was my most popular post but like by a lot like I've been getting maybe like 10 15 likes a post and then I got like 300 likes on that post I was like hmm. man um, I guess people like when I put out like authentic like real estate content what do you know still then I did not post <laughs> the real estate stuff I was like let me do it <laughs> once a week and then eventually i just succumbed, succane or whatever the word is uh to the reality it was like how about you put out stuff that's within your your niche and so i oh. i did that um for i did that for a bit and i kind of kind of got some traction folks seemed to like it and then so i was like man you know instagram only lets you put out or at that point it was just like static posts like i, I wasn't doing like the tiktok thing and um mm-hmm. and then i think eventually reels came on on uh, ig and and then so i started putting out reels and that's actually the first time i showed my face i actually didn't post my face at all for like the first uh, two years and then I started um, doing the real thing, and then I was like man I actually got more to say than than I can say in 60 seconds so I was like let me put out a platform and like a, I did a YouTube channel and podcast where I, where I dive like deeper into the topics so I just um, nothing, I, I dislike when uh, folks folks post just like a lot of generic stuff online um, as far as like mm-hmm. real estate and folks I want to dive into to guidelines because a lot of the generic stuff is cool and also people aren't really doing what they say they're doing so if you put a generic <laughs> quote out there you can't really be can't really be wrong because it's just so fluffy um mm-hmm. no one can really call you out on what it is and so I was like yeah hey, I better go into um and break down like details and guidelines so that, that's what I do on my, my my podcast and YouTube is I break down guidelines hopefully in an entertaining format I guess it depends who you ask if it's entertaining or not um and do the same thing on YouTube and uh, occasionally I'll interview a guest every now and then to cover a topic that I don't know about because, like I said, I try to only talk about stuff I, I know about um, on my my podcast and a and YouTube show.
1: Yeah, we're we're the same way. We don't we like to talk about stuff we know about. And I know I know one of the things, or the the main thing you know about, is is real estate. And you briefly talked about it, but you might kind of tell us more about how you got into real estate.
2: Yeah, and so um so this is literally how I got into the business. So when I had moved to was I in Dallas yet? Yeah. So, so i moved to Dallas. I was looking for like, just like a, a job out here. And so like my school, they throw like a, they throw a job fair like once a quarter. And so um typically some pretty cool companies there. And a lot of times, so the, the job fair is like on a Saturday. And so a lot of times the companies that really, really want to hire you, they'll invite you to this to this party. It's a recruitment thing. It's, it's, a, it's a really a party, but it's a recruitment thing on Friday mm-hmm. to try to get you to kind of go with them before you even go meet with other companies on Saturday. And so one of the companies, a couple of companies reached out to me. One of the companies was, was Amazon uh, reached out to me uh, to go work with them. And so everyone knows like Amazon. So I was like, Oh, cool, that'd be a great opportunity. I, I'm about to go work for Amazon. So I'm gonna go to this, I'm doing air quotes. I'm saying this, this recruiting, really <laughs> a recruiting mixer. <laughs> and then, so, um, and also, this other company, this mortgage company, had reached out to me as well. But, and I was like, eh, you know, I, I like what you have to say, but I'm not really um, a sales guy. I'm like super, I'm super like introverted. introverted. And so yeah, I went to, but it, the, the, the events happened to be in the same hotel. And so I w- went to go to the Amazon thing. And so I was walking around the hotel and I just could not find this Amazon um, part. Like, I don't know why I couldn't find it, but I kept walking around, but I kept seeing this this mortgage thing. I kept seeing the mortgage uh, briefing. And so I was just like, I'm here let me just walk in here see what they gotta say i guess i guess i'll check it out and so once i sat down i was like yeah man this is this is like what i like doing I was like i like real estate i like education like in the navy i was a training officer i like numbers my degree is in is the econ like i think i could probably be pretty cool good, good at good at this job and so even more what kind of stuck home for me was i'd already already purchased two properties to that point
3: Excuse
2: me. but i had no idea how the mortgage process worked despite working two prop despite purchasing two properties I had no idea, like, what I had done at all, what I signed, the loan types, or anything like that. So I was like, "Man, if I can like educate folks and connect with folks and train them and help them understand, like, I probably could do a pretty good job because they'll probably refer me to other people if I'm able to to help folks out and break down the stuff in layman terms." Because mm-hmm. I had no idea what I what I had just signed, uh, despite buying two homes. And so I was like, "Hey, maybe this this is for me. I'm not really a sales guy, but I know how to like to teach and connect and." relates stuff to folks. So um hey, I can't find Amazon. Let's check out this mortgage company. And so they kinda kind of the rest was the rest was history from from there, as they say.
3: <laughs> it was meant to be.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly. It's like kind of just fell into that. Like you said, you were uh looking for a whole nother company, or another a different party. And uh air quotes <laughs> for the party or whatever. But uh so it, it worked out, man. Look it at you can. now, you know, you have the podcast up and running, uh spreading that knowledge, uh teaching other people, educating. So uh
3: appreciate it. I'm glad that's how it worked out. And quick question, when you bought those two properties, like did you I guess like what made you buy two instead of just like buying one and letting it be your house, whatever?
2: So it, it's influence and the impact that my my parents had on me. And so mm-hmm. and so when I got out of the um the naval academy you go right into the military and so two things with that is you have a, a job right away and then you also um the VA loan is zero percent down and so a lot of times folks when they purchase a home you hear hey you need two years of job history that is true except if you're just leaving college the thing is like most people don't have the down payment to mm. buy a home when they're just leaving college um right. unless you know your, your parents are going to help you out with the with the down payment and so my parents were my my dad was like, hey, you should uh buy buy a property. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I guess I guess that makes sense. You know, it's like, hey, I'm <laughs> going to be paying you know a thousand dollars for rent, or can I pay a thousand dollars for my mortgage? It just it just made sense to me to do that. And then furthermore, this is the the once again having a good influence or a good good a good parents and in my situation was like they like, hey, you should get a roommate too and have him help you out with the mortgage. And I was like. That is a great idea. So and then it's like, even even more, don't tell your roommate you own the place because, you know, they may <laughs> they may want, you know, you're the same age. You may not want to pay rent on time. Or you don't want to have to be going. You don't have to have any conflict with your with your roommate when it comes to collecting money. You just want it to be easy, mm-hmm. um, easy selling. So it's like, hey, just let me just let me and your mom be the property managers. But we're not going to tell them that we're your parents. And so. I had a roommate for five for five years um, in in this condo. He had no idea that on the property. Hilarious. So like a lot of times, folks talk about house hacking. It's like, hey, you need to get a three unit property, four unit property. You can just get a one unit property, rent out a bedroom, and that's what I did for for five years. And so like my my mortgage payment was like thirteen hundred dollars, something like that. And so he was paying me like nine seventy five for that room. So like I was paying, you know, less than four hundred dollars wow. a month to live Man. in this. This, this property so like they helped me get off like a great financial start just because sure. um yeah just 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 to do the influence of my parents like I would have never thought I probably wouldn't have purchased a home um if my parents didn't encourage me to do it but I definitely wouldn't I, two I wouldn't have got a roommate then three I definitely wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to be like yeah hey I don't even own the place and that's not not even to be 80 <laughs> but it's just like from the perspective of like you don't want any unnecessary conflict. Like you're both in your right. 20s and then you don't want any right. jealousy or you don't have to be arguing with somebody about for the rent. Oh, I'll get you back and all that. It's just like, hey, they're, they're not going to balk at a property management company, which is just them
3: mm-hmm.
2: or where they may, you know, where they may say something to you or, or do this or that. So, yeah, that, that that's kind of that's why I bought, bought property because my, my, my parents told me to. So I was like, OK, so this, <laughs> that's, that's like awesome. a plan. Shout
3: out
0: to the parents, man, man. To, <laughs> a, a W for the parents, right for there.
2: That's real. a major win. That's
0: yeah. that's that's
2: great. I love it. Yeah. I love so it. That's, oh, go ahead. Oh, so yeah. So so um, wherever I move somewhere, like I'll, I'll stay there. I'll check it out for a year, and then if it, if it's if it's all if it's all good, like I'll just purchase purchase a property. As long as I'm, my, my as long as I want to be there, I think for you know, you know, three to five years, I'll just uh, buy a property. So 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 far so good. It's it's worked out.
0: And that that knowledge dropped uh, by the parents is uh, yeah, fantastic, yeah. and we talk about that a little bit sometimes, just as far as um, helping get some knowledge to pass it on to the to your your offspring or to the next generation. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what your parents did there, and that's what we're trying to build. and And that was an excellent example of it right there. Um, yeah,
2: yeah. Folks, folks talk about you know generation wealth. I mean, money is one thing, but just just knowledge like that. Because that's mm-hmm. like, so they they pass down that that knowledge plate to me, so they did not have to like give me money they gave me like knowledge to kind of do to do my own thing there
0: and and the kids or the next generation has to listen also so you you listen to the the advice that your parents were giving you because i'm not gonna lie man my, a little bit after college my dad was telling me like man you should buy you a condo or something i didn't uh it <laughs> probably would have been fantastic if i did but at the time you know my my dad wasn't a, a homeowner either but he is now but at the time i mean he he wasn't i don't think i was looking at it in the same lens as, as you were. So uh, that's, that's great. Uh, I do want to, I'm curious because you, you mentioned, you know, you're from the North, you stay in the South now, and you said that uh, there's some stereotypes uh, coming from, from the North. I, go ahead and go ahead and break it down. Let us know. What, what's the stereotypes. <laughs> how, uh, I guess, what are the differences? What's true? What are the things that you've seen different and how it relates what? to being yeah, so just, I brother. mean, just
2: from a, a cartoonish perspective. I mean, you know, um, you guys drive cars down here. You don't ride horses. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, like you know, just just stuff like that. You know, hey, they, hey, uh, hey, uh, hey don't. Down here. Yeah, that's Harris.
0: That's Harris. Now, yeah, you <laughs> haven't seen me. I can take you to those two, some horses. We can go down.
2: To <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, uh, and so just just from that, just from that, from a, a funny cartoon perspective. But it, honestly, just for and from a more serious perspective, you know, like a big uh, fear of my parents had me moving down south was just like, um, just just racism, you know. Mm, and so, you know, uh-huh. just making sure that you're moving to a place where, um, you're going to be be safe. And so, one thing I've kind of noticed for maneuvering around the country is that it's not so much the area of the country you're in, but I don't know, more like metropolitan areas seem to be more like diverse, um, as mm-hmm. far as far as that. And so, one thing I one thing I did was um. So first off the only reason I actually moved to Texas was because a friend of mine from the the Navy lived here and he kind of gave me the the thumbs up and um, he say he probably moved to to Houston uh, a month after I got here so I was like awesome appreciate that <laughs> um, and then um, I'll say I looked I went online and I looked at at uh I went to Wikipedia and I just looked up the the, the breakdown as far as like the uh, kind of like the what do you, what do you want want to say like the the voting or the political voting in, in, uh, in the Dallas, area. Mm-hmm. not not to say Republican, by any means saying Republicans are, are racist, but I'm just saying, Hey, it was a lot more democratic folks. I'm kind uh, of, I kind of tend towards the, uh, the, the democratic political landscape. So I was like, okay, it's kind of a, a more of a mix than, you know, of Republican and, and, and Democrats in the Dallas area versus like some of the other outskirts of, of Texas where it's a little bit more, uh, a little mm-hmm. bit more red. And once again, not, not to say Republicans are racist, but, it wasn't uh as Confederate flaggy, I'll just say that as, as I thought it would be <laughs> when I when I moved. So that's, that's honestly the two things I was my, my biggest fear was just, you know, um was just like racism moving down. So it was really my, my biggest uh hesitation to to move down here. So
0: yeah, I'm glad you ha- you're having a good experience and uh, I mean it's not as like you said as cartoony as, as you might have uh, imagined. Yeah. But I mean some some stereotypes are based in history you know at at least and so so there are those things and like you said it's just kind of maybe few and far between depending on where you're at but you know yeah yeah, we do have some horses around here we uh (laughs) racism does exist I can tell you some stories (laughs) you know (laughs) uh, we don't see as many confederate flags nowadays but uh there are some you know but uh, it, it ain't nearly as. I mean, I, and I dropped the ink for you because we are in the South, uh, but it, it's it's not as nearly as bad as the uh, some of the cartoons and stereotypes. Might, might yeah, yeah.
2: Like say. I said, to me, it's, it's not bad at all. I mean, like I said, it's, it's racism everywhere, so it's not like it's, yeah. it's something that's um, strictly in the in the South. But on the cartoony uh, note, so the first apartment I got down here when I moved to the Dallas area, so I actually lived in in Terrell, Texas, which is like twenty minutes. He's like, he's, 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 he's Texas, a, Man, Yeah,
3: he he been all around. I I I,
2: I didn't. There, there's just nothing over there. There's like an apartment <laughs> building. <and> there's <laughs> there, the So like, Jamie I Fox it. is from is from Terrell. Uh, yep, yep. So like, they got a picture of Jamie Foxx in the in the in the shop over there. But there's there's really nothing out there. And so um, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, that that apartment. There was just this big field of, of cows over there. So I, I used to have this this cool shot of cows out of my window. So. <laughs> My first, my first apartment didn't do anything to, uh, to knock down those, uh, those cartoony stereotypes. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so
0: I guess we'll roll into some of the the other questions you gave us a little bit about your background. Talked about the the, the South and the North. Um, but what are the three most important things to consider for a first time home buyer?
2: So, like, number one with the bullet is your budget. So I think a lot of times where folks get messed up when they buy a home, when they get into the home buying process, is they just somehow come to a conclusion that, hey, I want a $300,000 home or $400,000 home, or I want to live in a neighborhood with, with $300,000 homes. And so the issue with that is is I always ask folks, what do you think the mortgage payment is on that home? And the, the answer is usually, I, I don't know. And so what, what happens is folks will end up talking themselves into a home price that's out of their their budget. Because there, mm-hmm. there's, there's two things when you, when you go to buy, buy a home. That's what you can qualify for, and then there's what you can actually afford. Sometimes what you can qualify for is a lot more than you can afford. Because like when you're going through the uh, home buying process, there's something called your debt-to-income ratio, which is essentially your monthly finance debts, debts plus the future mortgage payment divided by your income before taxes before taxes is a keyword word there because that debt to income ratio can go all the way up to fifty percent and so once again your debts can be fifty percent of your income before taxes but obviously you're paying taxes right and so in your real life debt to income ratio could be like in the in the 70 80 90 percent threshold if you're going all the way up to that fifty percent um, DTI or debt to income ratio. So at that point, that's when folks become kind of like house poor or it's impossible to save and they kind of get, mm. are folks like, oh, I hate owning a home. It's so expensive. It's because you maxed out um, what you could qualify for instead of sticking to your budget. Mm. And so I tell folks, always start with your budget first and work backwards to find a home price. And so simply how you do that is, so these are going to be just made up numbers. they not going to equate to any uh, actual math, but let's say that your you're paying $1,500 a month for an apartment, right? And so I would say, hey, it's $1,500 a month. Is that good as far as a monthly payment, as far as a principal interest taxes and insurance payment? If you say yes, okay, thumbs up. We're good to go there. So now what you need to do is go to Google and literally type in mortgage calculator. So the first thing that'll pop up is Google will populate a mortgage calculator, right? And so start putting numbers into the mortgage calculator that are about a third less than that $1,500. So try to get, try to Put in numbers until you get a payment that's like $1,000, right? And so once again, these are not accurate numbers. I'm just doing this to make the math super easy. But let's Mm -hmm. say you put in $200,000, right? And that gives you $1,000 principal and interest payment. What you do next is you you go to, now you go to like Zillow.com, right? And you'll look at $200,000 homes and you'll figure out what the taxes are on a $200,000 home. And let's say those taxes are $2,400. You divide that by 12. Now you know that's what your taxes are going to be on a monthly basis. And so now we got a thousand plus twelve. And so insurance is a little bit harder. I just tell folks to to add like 150 as far as insurance. Um, because that'll be fine as long as you're not buying like a a million dollar home or high or high six figures. And then you got like then you, know, you got like a 1350 monthly payment. Um, and I say 1350 is kind of a good place to to sit at, even though your budget may be fifteen hundred dollars because you need to factor in like maintenance, like when you're renting. Mm your your landlord is you know they, they factor the maintenance into your monthly payment so let's it, it just is what it is it's already baked in there when you're a homeowner your maintenance could be it could be zero 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 eight hundred dollars you know zero 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 nine hundred dollars so you need to make sure you have that 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 kitty and that that money to um to save for maintenance and you're gonna be doing stuff like you maybe want somebody to mow the lawn etc um and do that but the first thing is to establish your budget so you're not talking yourself into like a home price that that is out of out of your budget. I say number two is to make sure you're going to be in that area for to the extent that you can for at least three to five years. Right. So because if, you, if you're if you going to be moving in like one to two years, like it doesn't make any sense to buy a home, you know, and I don't want folks to get like messed up by like the appreciation we've seen with homes the last two years where home prices have increased 20, 30 percent. You may see somebody post, hey, I bought a home uh, last year. I sold it for eighty thousand dollar profit. Like the last two years are just like a blip, um, mm-hmm. an anomaly, you know what I'm saying? Like as far as uh, home prices and, and stuff like that, typically we're looking at like 1% to 4, 4% appreciation. And so uh, make sure you're going to be in that area for like three to five years. And so you don't have to be in the home, but you have to own that home for three to five years if you legitimately um, don't want to take an L as far as purchasing a home. Because even if the home appreciates, like if you go to sell that home, you're going to have to pay your realtor like 6% commission. So if your realtor did not, or if your home didn't appreciate, you know, six percent in the in that one to two years you were there, you're going to be you're going to be coming out of pocket when you when you sell that home. And I'd say um, number three is so you need to have a, a basic credit score to buy buy a home. And so minimum credit requirements are uh, conventional six hundred and twenty, FHA five hundred at ten percent down, five hundred and eighty at three and a half percent down, USDA, VA, NACA technically no credit score but you probably need a 620 to qualify. And so it's to know your minimum credit requirements because um folks will tell you hey you need to you know to get, you want to get your credit up to get the best rate for a home. The thing folks don't understand about credit is that and we've seen it like the last 3 4 months is that the the benchmark rate or the rate that lenders use for your credit score has more impact on your credit score than your the more impact on your interest rate than your actual credit score. And so we, if we look back like four months ago, like a 640 credit score probably could have got you an interest rate, like a 3125 or something below a 3.5, a 640 credit score would have got you that. Now today, a 740 credit score is probably getting you something like a 5% interest rate. And what happened? The, the benchmark rate moved, the Fed moved the cost to, to borrow money. And so typically something like that extreme doesn't happen like in a four or five month time span. But something like that like can happen. Like if you're if you're like, hey, I got a 640, I wanna wait till I get a 740 to to buy a home. No, just just pull the trigger if the numbers work within your budget. You can you can in theory you can refinance down the line if it really matters. But three things, so what I sell. Uh, budget, credit, and uh, whatever I said for number two, I forgot already, sorry.
0: But man, dropping dropping gems right there, I, I like it. Uh, I think that first one was one yeah. that stuck out the, the most to me. I think that's the one people really need to uh, he is when you said that you know budget and not just max out what you're approved for. And I remember when I was going through the house buying process, you know, I was like, hey, I want you know this this much. This is what I'm uh, trying to get. That was based off kind of a budget. And I remember you going to the uh, whoever you know does some mortgage loans whatever and they're like oh you sure you can you know you can qualify for this much we can, we can do this much on it i was like no that's not what i asked for <laughs> i'm not trying to get that you know i i know what i'm trying to to, to get always remember
2: all those yeah. people work off commission your 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 lender your realtor they all work off commission like and it's everyone's uh benefit to buy the most expensive home being qualified for except for you, the, the consumer, but everyone else wins. <laughs> <laughs> so.
0: Yeah, so I was not sure. I was like, nope, no, this is what I, I want. This, this. So they're like, well, you can do this much. Your credit is at this point. I'm like, nah, that's fine.
1: It sounds all good.
2: Yeah, but yeah.
1: Nah. <laughs> so so one, one of your tips was credit score, though. What are some tips to improve someone's credit score if they need to?
2: So I think the first uh, step of improving your credit score is understanding like, how your credit score is even broken down, right? And so your... Your mortgage lender. So let me jump back. So a lot of times I hear folks say, oh, you know, credit karma is bogus. It's fake. It's wrong. Blah, blah, blah. Credit karma is is not wrong. It's a different score model. So like credit karma or like your banking app or whatever thing you're looking at, they just use a vantage three score model. It's it's just a different score model. Um, It's not right. It's not or it's right for them, but it's not wrong. But your lender uses a FICO 2, 4, and 5 score model. And so that's a lot of times where folks are like, hey, Credit Karma told me this. Uh, my lender told me this. Like, why is there a difference? Credit Karma must be wrong. It's not, it's just, it's just different. So if you're going to be looking at Credit Karma, what you also need to do is go to, you can go to a site like annualcreditreport.com, right? And so annualcreditreport.com will not tell you your credit score, but it will give you a copy of exactly what's on your credit report. And so that's important to know because if if credit karma is showing you a 740 but then you go to annualcreditreport.com and you see hey i have a collection i got this and that on there a bunch of negative items that's where you know credit karma is wrong because for some reason that factoring those those negative items like i have a personal story where um i was looking at my banking app which showed an 806 i went to a lender and they told me i had a, a 684 120 point difference and that's because i had this 75 five dollar collection on my credit report that I didn't know about. I paid off that collection. My, my credit score went back up to, to uh, the the 800. So like, for whatever reason, like CreditCom or your bank app, for some reason they don't fact, they miss out on certain uh, things in, in their, their scoring model. But uh, go to annualcreditreport.com and just see if there's anything derogatory on your credit report in the first place. But um, back to understand how your, your credit score works. So you got 850 points in your credit score. Um, 300 of those are, are free. So if you just have like a credit profile for six months, like just get a credit card, you start off with three hundred free points. And so when we talk about the stuff that you can impact on your credit score, it is just it is just five hundred and fifty points. And so let's start from the top and work our way down for the most important things. So first and foremost, your payment history is thirty five percent of your credit score. That comes out to one hundred and ninety two point five points, and your payment history is paying, paying your bills on time. And so. If you pay your bills on time, you'll, you'll, do, well, you'll do well there. But you probably listen to this say, okay, what if I've already messed up on my, uh, I've not paid a bill on time? We'll, we'll, we'll get to that um, in a bit. The next thing, as far as impacting your credit score, is your, your utilization. And so utilization is 30% of your credit score or 165 points. So your utilization is the thing you can probably impact the quickest. When it comes to improving your credit score, and so you can do that one of two ways: either you can pay down a debt, or you can. The easiest way is actually to increase your limit. So if you're maxed out on your credit cards, it may be hard to increase your limit because your lender may not do it. But like you, you can always call. And so let's say like your credit card um, limit is to make the numbers easy, a thousand dollars, right? And typically you hold about five hundred dollars on your your credit card. So now your utilization is is 50%, which is very high as far as the credit score model. But if you call up, you know, Chase and say, hey, um, can you increase my credit limit? And they say, okay, we can increase it now to, to $2,000. You If you still have that same balance of $500, now your limit is $2,000. You Your utilization went from 50% to 25%. You didn't do anything. And so that's probably the easiest thing you can do to Im- improve your credit is to ask for a credit increase from whoever you're your lender is. Um, Number three, as far as your credit score is length of credit history, which is 15% of your credit score or 82.5 points. And so the only, there's two things you can do there is just live longer, like just time has to pass when it comes to length of credit history, or you can be added potentially, potentially as authorized user. To somebody's account, and so you want to make sure it's obviously somebody that has good credit history. But you can be added maybe as an authorized user. And so it depends who the card is. Some cards will give you the back credit history of the user. Some will just start from where you where you join their card, and some don't care at all. So you need to figure out like whatever what card you have, and you know what their philosophy philosophy is on that. And then the next the next two parts of your credit score, ten um, percent each is new credit with your inquiries. Um, believe it or not, inquiries, despite what the uh, credit repair industry may tell you, credit inquiries do not matter one bit when applying for a mortgage. Um, they only impact you your score by about five points per hit, and they don't matter after about three months. They matter virtually nothing after a year, and after two years, they fall off completely. So don't ever pay anybody any money to uh, remove inquiries. Um, you can actually go to my YouTube channel, and I have a free video on how to remove inquiries um, for you there. And then the last part is, is credit mix which is just having different mix of credit, like revolving accounts, which is like a credit card versus like a an installment loan. There's not really much you can do about that, but um, that's how your whole credit score is, is broken down. So really the most important thing you can do is, is to work on that utilization thing, which is either increasing your limit or, you know, work on the budget to pay down the debt. Uh, the other thing, the first thing I mentioned was the payment history. So what you want to do to improve your payment history is, you wanna go through like your credit report and figure out what, what's good and what's what's bad, right? Or what's accurate and inaccurate. And so all credit repair is is folks removing stuff that is inaccurate, unverifiable from your credit report. That's all the credit repair person is doing. There's no magic letter or sauce or any credit repair ha- person has. There's no magical algorithm that they, ha- they have. They're literally just looking at your credit report and identifying what is right and what, if there's anything inaccurate on the credit report. It could be inaccurate. It could be actually your debt, but if they've written like a, a date wrong or they've written a, a um a number wrong in your account wrong, that's how you that's how folks are getting stuff removed from your your, your credit report. And so the um that's a super long answer, but the first thing you want to do as far as like getting stuff removed from your, your credit report is just make sure that your personal information on there is accurate. And so you, you want to make sure you don't have old addresses, old, old names, uh, aliases and stuff in your credit report, because those old addresses and old aliases are can are there because there's an account associated with those old addresses and alias. And so if there's like an old collection associated with a home, a place you lived at like four or five years ago, if you update that address, now the, the debt collector cannot associate that debt with you and boom, you can get it removed from, from, from your, from your credit port. But that's kind of like a high level what a credit repair person um, does, but uh, sorry, super long answer, but that's how you improve your, your, your credit.
1: No, you gave some great information. And we did a episode on credit scores. Um, I think it was last year. And something you hit on that's like obvious, pay them people. Yeah, you know, yeah. if, you, if you pay your bills, you know, on time, you know, you should be in pretty good shape. And I know some people they've already messed up. But um, if you do that, you should be in good shape. And I had, um, I know on my credit report, I had something that wasn't Accurate, and I didn't. Um, I don't remember the exact process. This was several years ago, but I was able to uh, dispute it, and it, it in- increased my my credit reporting. I didn't hire anybody or anything. I did it myself. So, yeah. um, you know, I'm real skeptical about you know the um, a lot of these credit people.
0: Man, uh, a nice hack you you mentioned was the uh, utilization credit utilization, which I didn't really think about before. Yeah. But uh, basically, you know, increasing your Amount, like if you said, if you were approved for 10000 you can stretch it out to 12000 and still we basically uh, have the same debt on it, but it decreases that utilization, so that seems like a pretty quick... You always say the worst thing to, thing
2: to say is no, you're in the same position you were in all, already, and so some don't do like a, a credit pull either, they'll just, you know, look at how uh, you've been paying your bills so far, and it's like, okay, they've been with us, excuse me, four or five years... Okay, they've they've not missed a payment in four or five years. They may have high limits, but they're making those payments. So sure, we'll, we'll we'll raise it up for you. So bam, your your credit card goes up like just like that.
0: Man, we'll uh, move into the houses a little bit more now. but Thank you for uh, putting us on game with the credit. But I think I've seen it somewhere on like maybe one of your posts uh, or video about house hacking. What exactly is that?
2: Yeah, so house hacking is essentially buying a property having somebody help pay the rent. Or pay the mortgage by living in their property so there's a couple ways to to do it like i mentioned in the intro so you always hear about you know the four by fourplex triplex all that easier said than done because i always say like if somebody has this great income generating asset in a fourplex, like why are they selling it to you right those are harder to to find like those fourplexes and and uh and triplex and so i always say easy way to house hack is like what i did was you can essentially buy a a one or a single family property as long as it has more than one bedroom and and just rent out that property to, to another person to help them pay, pay the rent. So like, if you're doing it with like a single family home, um, or you're doing it with like a a duplex, most likely it will not be in a situation where you're, you're living rent free as as folks say, but having someone pay 70, 80% of your mortgage is, is a win is a win to me. And then, so, you know, when, if you're able to identify like the fourplex or the triplex, um, those are kind of like the, the home run situations because how, especially if you use an FHA loan, because. With an FHA loan, your down payment is three and a half percent, whether it's a one, two, three, or four unit property. With a conventional loan, like your down payment can go all the way up to like like 20, 25%, even if you're living in the property. So at that point, it's like you might as well just buy an investment property if you're putting down 20, 25%. But with the um FHA loan, you can buy that four unit property for only three and a half percent down. And a a cool, depending on what area of the country you're living in, um, because sometimes this hampers people. But a requirement, I think it's one thing the government actually gets right is if you're buying a three or four unit property, the only way you can qualify or one major stipulation on qualifying on top of the, all the other stuff, you know, credit income, that's, that's DTI, is so the mortgage can be no more than 75% of the rent uh, of the rents for that whole building. So what that means is, like, let's say um, the rents. Yeah, before unit property and uh, all units rent for thousand dollars. Seventy five percent of that is three thousand dollars. So what that says is that your mortgage on that property can be no more than three thousand dollars. And so why why is that? It it helps you if okay, if somebody moves out. You know you are only going only gonna be um, collecting uh, rent on three of the four units. If you move out or whatever, or if you lose your job, you still have three of the units covering th- the rent. And so and then and that that's why these properties are home runs because so. If while you live in the property, at least um, your mortgage is paid for by three of the other properties. Once you move out, you're you're cash flowing most definitely. You may be cash flowing while you're actually living in the property itself, um, but you're definitely cash flowing while you're um, while you're moving out of the property. But yeah, house hacking is essentially just buying a property, a one to four unit property, and either um, renting out, or excuse me, yeah, renting out one of the units or buying a single family property and renting out one of the one of the bedrooms. So. One tip I have, if you're buying a single-family property, is to make sure there's a proper like bedroom to bathroom ratio. And so, you never want it to be a situation where you're the person you're renting the property to does not have their own bathroom. And so, that's one thing I always always look for was like I'd buy condos that were like two bedroom, two bath because you don't ever want to be sharing um, a bathroom with somebody else or you having your <laughs> guests use their bathroom. You know, somebody pees in the toilet seat and the folks are. Folks are folks are all upset. It just creates unnecessary um, drama when um, you're, you're sharing a bathroom. Like always, I always tell folks my my wife at the time or my wife at the time, my wife currently, my fiance at the time, we lived in a, we lived in a, a one bedroom, one bathroom together. And I was in love with her. And that was like hectic. Um, just, you know, trying to share a bathroom and all this. And I got to go to the bathroom. But you're in the bathroom. You're taking a shower. That was a mess. I couldn't imagine doing that with somebody who I, I didn't I didn't even know. Um so yeah make sure if you're going to buy that, that one unit or the single family that bedroom to bathroom ratio needs to be a 1 to 1 ratio.
1: Man, dropping some gems because um never done house hacking but I've heard about it for a few years now and I never mm-hmm. thought about the bathroom but that makes a lot of sense.
2: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I wish I uh did that back in the in the day.
3: But
0: uh... <laughs> I, well, I guess, uh, well, it doesn't count for us, Larry. We, we just were roommates.
2: We didn't own an apartment. Yeah, we were roommates yeah. in college. Okay, okay.
1: Man, we're getting more into the, to real estate and um, anybody who, who knows me or listens to this podcast know I live real estate. So interest rates actually are starting to go down now. But, you know, with uh, rising interest rates, talks of recession and a housing crash, should people purchase real estate right now or is renting a better option?
2: Um, so, so folks, um, that's not my call. That, that that's, that's your call. And I always say this because if something happens, like I'm not going to cover the, the mortgage for you. So you got to figure that out on your own. I can just tell you what, what, I, what I think. And so basically, I think that there's like typically like three worries people have. It's like, hey, what if I buy a home right now and home prices go down? You know, what if I get a loan right now and um, interest rates go down? But like, what if I buy a home right now and I lose my job due to the recession? So, but let, let, let's cover all three of those things. So what happens if you buy a home today? Let's say you buy a home on Monday, for some reason, home prices drop 20% on Tuesday. Like what actually happens? Like literally nothing happens, right? Unless you're planning to sell your home on Wednesday, right? And so that's why I tell folks like you should plan to be in their property for four or five years because so you can weather what's ever happening with the market. Like if you're, if you buy a home on Monday, Home prices dropped twenty percent for some reason on Tuesday. As long as you're in the game for four to five years, like home prices will bounce back. Like if you look at a chart or, of the home prices, it moves just like the the S and P five hundred. It goes up, it goes down, it goes up. It may drop down a lot, then it'll go back up a lot. It's just it's just a straight not a straight line, but a, uh, it looks like a um, you know the hypotenuse put- side of a triangle. Like it's it just go- it just goes up like that when you look at it over time. So as long as your plan is not to um flip that home or like I'm holding the home for six months, you, you'll you'll be fine. It does suck that home prices have, have went down, but um you you'll 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 be fine overall home prices will go up. That's what that's that's just what it is. Um and so furthermore like jumping into the actual the the data and statistics. So what actually happens to home prices during a recession? Most when folks are worried about a recession, they're probably worried about three things It's like, hey, what happens if I buy a home and home prices go down. Um, You know, what if I buy? What if I lock in my mortgage rate and interest rates go down? What if I lose my job? You know, during a, a recession, all legit worries. Let's address each one of those. So, one, like, let's say you buy a home on Monday. You know, home prices for some reason drop twenty percent on Tuesday. Like, so what actually happens? Like, literally, nothing happens. Like I said, unless you plan to actually sell that home on on Wednesday, and that's why I always say you should plan to own that home for four to five years because. You'll be able to weather whatever happens in the market, and so statistically, home prices just—they always go up. They don't go up in a straight line, but you know they—they they go up. It looks just like if you look at a chart of like the S and P 500. You know, there's peaks and valleys, ups and downs, but overall, there are way more ups than there are downs, which is why home prices trend up. And so, even more like if you look at the the data, right? Most folks think, hey, you know, home prices go down in recession, but no, they actually go up statistically. So, three of the five last recessions, home prices have actually gone up. And so one of those recessions, the home prices went down was 2000, the 2008 housing crash. But I always like to point out that home prices, the, the home, the housing crash caused the recession. The recession didn't cause the housing crash. So um, to me, that's not even when I kind of even factor in, into that, that three out of five uh, math, but statistically home prices just, just go up. And so even furthermore, if you look at like the last 10 years, uh, home prices have gone up nine of the last 10 years um the one the one uh, price drop was from 2018 to nineteen, and home prices dropped like less than than one percent so so all the data says the home prices will continue to go up not in a straight line but they they will go up so as long as you're in the game for four to five years, you should be should be fine um, in that situation So let's say, hey, what if uh you know i I get a home now and interest rates go back down uh to two three percent uh well they I don't make a lot of declarative statements but they they're not going back to two or three percent. Like that was a historical like blip, um, as far as interest rates. Like, we're not going to see that again for uh, for 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 a while. Like, I, I would venture maybe ten to fifteen years before we see something like like that again because there was just so much going on, and you know, the the Fed was artificially keeping interest rates low, and it was a long time for two. It was like a two year time frame. Um, the rates were were that low, so we're talking about hey, you know, what happens if rates go down? Take two three percent out of out of your out of your mind out of this equation when we're talking about where rates are now compared to then, because that 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 was a historical blip. So realistically, um, we're talking about like a great rate. You're looking at maybe like the the mid to high threes to the low fours as far as the interest rate. And so that's what you should, should be comparing like today's rates to, to that threshold. So let's say, what if a year from now, you know, you, you buy a home at a 5% and rates go down to a 3.5%. Well, you can, you can refinance your property. So I mean, that's something um, you can do, and so the math you should be doing when it to see if hey, does it make sense for me to refinance this property is simply this. So there's fees associated with a refinance, but what you want to do is factor in what it's going to cost. What are you going to save for your monthly payment versus the fees? And so a quick quick scenario: let's say it's going to cost you two thousand dollars to refinance this home and lender fees and title company fees, but you're going to save two. Uh, you're going to save one hundred dollars a month for your monthly payment. So you take 2000 divided by 100, you get 20. And so what that means, as long as you're going to be in the home for at least 20 more months, it makes sense to refinance because you'll break even on the cost you spent to refinance after month 20. And so if you're going to be in the home for longer than 20 months, great. Um, if not, it doesn't make sense to refinance, but you, you can't, can't, can't predict the future. Um, I'm sure there was folks three, four months ago that uh, where rates were like a three, three and a half percent. They were like, oh man, I want rates to go back down to three. I'm going to wait to refinance. Now we're in the fives right right now. So execute because you can't predict the future, right? And so the last part is just, hey, what if you lose your job during a recession? That's that's super um, unfortunate. And so um, some things that could possibly help you is, one, you know, make sure that you have some money when you're purchasing a home. Like you should, especially if we're in a recession, I don't hit a recession, depends who you, who you ask what's going on right now. Um you know, make sure you probably want to have like you know, you no know, six to twelve months of living expenses saved up, um, in case you unfortunately lose your job. Um, if and always point out to folks that your lender does not want to take your home. Like your lender does not make money by putting you in the foreclosure. They they're going to do everything that they can to help you keep your home. Believe it or not, even though banks are looked at as a uh, the the bad guys, and so they they can do stuff like you know what's called like a loan modification, which is like modify the terms. Of your loan, so let's say you have like a thirty-year loan, um, they may be able to stretch your loan out to to a forty-year time frame in order to make your payment smaller. Or let's say you miss you miss a bunch of payments because you don't have a job, they can like defer that those missed payments to the to the back of the loan. But the, the important thing is if you lose your job or you run into some sort of financial struggle, is to communicate with the lender. So if you're saying nothing to them, you're, you're ducking phone calls, you're not answering emails, you're not answering um, mail you're going to go into foreclosure. Yeah, of course, because you've not communicated to the lender that what's going on and that you hopefully have a plan in order to, to come out on the other side of things. But um, to me, if the numbers work, I say purchase a home because you can't, you can't predict the future home prices statistically um, always go up, but um, make sure you have some sort of cushion because yeah, it looks like we may be in some, some, uh, some, some tough times coming up potentially.
3: I think that's some pretty good information you mentioned, especially with the, the interest rates, you know, if you, Like you said, purchase that five. And, you know, if it goes back down, you can always refinance. Yeah. You know, and I think that's I think that's something that people don't or aren't aware of. You know, they just get caught in like that interest rate at that point in time and don't think about, I guess, the total picture. Yeah. Um, But I think, like you said, you have to be staying there, you know, four to five years, I think would make a person look more at the total picture than, you know, to hop in, hop out. Mm -hmm. I know we've been talking about residential real estate. Uh, so, to switch it to commercial properties, uh, how can someone purchase a commercial property, and what are the benefits
2: of that all, all right so um so there's two types of loans there's residential loans and then there's i guess there's a bunch of types, but i'll just say there's residential loans and there's commercial loans. so what a residential loan is is a property that is one to four units right and so anytime you jump over that that four unit threshold, now you're in the commercial territory and so commercial <laughs> properties are typically harder to buy because you need to have typically some sort of experience, like some sort of management experience. There's, there's larger uh, down payments um, for a commercial property. So that's a whole different type of loan set and, and skill set um, than typically like a residential lender like myself would have. And so you want to reach out to a commercial lender for kind of all the intricate details for that, except there's actually one kind of loophole where you can buy a commercial property with the residential loan. And so it's using, once again, an FHA loan. So a lot of folks don't realize you can actually purchase a commercial property with an FHA loan. The only requirement is that it has to be a multi-unit property. And so, because at least 51% of that property has to be residential. And so, you know, you've Mm. seen like, uh, you know, the stores that have like the apartments and stuff, like up top, Mm -hmm. that's how you can buy an actual commercial property with a residential loan. And it, it's, it's still the three and a half percent down that you would have to do, um, with an FHA loan. Um, like that very few people actually, even me, I didn't realize that. So I'd have been in the business for like three or four years that you can buy a commercial property with an FHA loan, as long as there's some sort of residential property attached. So if you're looking at a commercial property, especially if you're a newcomer and like you're to, to, to whatever business or commercial real estate. I'd highly recommend kind of going the FHA route first, especially if you're just looking to open up like a storefront or something like that or an event space. It's to it's to go that FHA route and to use that way to com- to buy a commercial property. Cause outside of that, you're gonna you're gonna need like large amounts of of money down like 20, 30% and some sort of history of working in some sort of history of buying of buying commercial property. So you probably have to get with somebody else um, and use maybe their expertise in in commercial property management in order to actually buy a commercial property. But um, some of the benefits are that your lender just looks at basically the cash flow when you're buying a commercial property, uh, a strictly commercial property. So like with a residential property, it's like, hey, what's your debt to income ratio and all that? It's just like, hey, there's, um, I don't know, there's 10 units in this property. They all make, you know, $5,000, like will the cash flow from the properties cover the mortgage? That's that's from a very high level what your lender looks at as far as uh commercial commercial real estate.
3: And with the with kind of the mixed ones, the residential commercial ones, like I know you mentioned 51%. Is that going by like square footage?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Correct. Okay. Yes, yeah, So as long as 51% oh, okay. of that property is is residential, um, you can use that FHA loan to to purchase the, the mixed use, mixed use property.
0: No idea. uh I didn't even know that there was the the four i guess kind of four unit threshold as far as yeah yeah going. correct
2: yeah yeah after after four units yeah that's that's when it goes into a different type of um a different type of loan
0: okay pretty cool um so you've talked to us quite a bit about the real estate and you introduced yourself and you told us about your uh background in the in the navy so what are some of the, some of the lessons or skills learned in, in the navy that helps you help teach you about finances or real estate
2: so, one, one of the most important things I remember is that, like, no decision, like, is a decision, right? So, like, m- not making a decision is actually a decision to keep the status quo or to stay exactly where mm-hmm. you went. So, a lot of times folks will, like, procrastinate. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm thinking, I haven't, I haven't launched this idea or I haven't done X, Y, or Z. um and It's like, it's because I'm thinking about it. I need to put together a plan. And, like, they think they're they think that's like a noble thing to do is to take all this time to decide on an answer. When it's like, you've actually decided, you've decided to stay exactly where you're at. And so I I tell folks like, it's better to make a wrong decision fast than like a mediocre or okay decision to take all day to make one of those decisions. And so, because typically- Unless you're like a doctor or I don't know, you're trying to figure out, you know, to cut the red or white wire, you're defusing a bomb. Like, you're not going to die if you make the wrong decision. Right. Like you, 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 you have you, you're to live another day. So it's like, OK, you made this decision. It was the wrong decision. Now we OK. Now it's like, why was this decision wrong? OK, now I know why I made this wrong decision. Now let me use that information in order to help make a better decision and, and move forward. But like when you take all day and do all this plotting and all this, and more likely than not, it's not going to be a perfect decision. It's going to be a mediocre, okay decision. But now you're stuck with that decision because there's no time to, to pivot or do something else. So um, one, I said the most important thing was that, you know, no decision is a decision to to uh, just keep the status quo the same. And then two, just, just to take action, I guess along with the same thing, take action and, and like just do something like (laughs) because the the chances are you're not going to make the perfect decision you know there's more than um one way to skin a cat as they say so just just do something make some sort of decision um as far as the navy and then I guess number three is just just be honest like be yourself like folks can tell when you're like you're you're faking and you don't know what you're talking about and it's Mm -hmm. okay to not know what you're talking about as well so like when you're in the navy and when you're in an officer in the navy it's like I graduated college I was 20 And then, so now I go into the the Navy and I'm in charge of a weapons, a weapons unit. So I'm in charge of like weapons training. Um, I'm in charge of force protection security of the ship. So I'm just put into this role, right? I've never, outside of like at the Naval Academy where you're doing like um, target practice and stuff like that. I never handled a gun in my life. I don't know anything about guns, shooting guns or anything like that, but I'm in charge of now of training the entire ship on how to do this. And so, um, The only way you can be successful with that is to actually lean on the people that are in in your in your unit, your division. So, like I said, I'm this new guy out of the Navy in charge of this this, uh, group of uh, of 20, you know, men and women. You know, some are 40, you know, between 40 and 19 years old. Like I'm in charge of these people. But you have to be humble and and realize that you don't know what you're talking about essentially and you have to lean on you have to lean on the people that have more experience than you do and don't be afraid to do that and so um yeah don't 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 fake um either if you don't know there's nothing nothing wrong with saying i don't i don't know but i don't know but i'll find out the answer is what you want to actually say not just i don't know those are are kind of the the big the big three things i learned from my my time in the, the military
1: did you think that gave you confidence later in life, like being put in a situation to where you, you know, you really didn't know at the time, but you were still able to, I guess, teach to teach the people.
2: Yeah. 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 I think definitely. I mean, like I said, the, the ability to just lean on people and be in, an, like being a leadership role where folks know that you don't know the most because the, the most important thing about being in a leadership role is actually leading, like not the technical like expertise, you know what I'm saying? Like Elon Musk, maybe he's a smart dude. I don't know, but he's not, most likely, I don't know whatever, whatever happens. It's not even know how to describe what happens. at Tesla, but he's probably not cranking the gears or whatever they're doing. Right? Yeah, <laughs> he's just kind of like, hey, big picture, boom, boom, boom. Uh, do this mm-hmm. and that. So, um, I like guess the as the CEO, the leader, like you should have an overall understanding of what's going on in your company. But you're not the. You should not be the technical expert in every expert a, every aspect of your business. If you are, you probably need to hire some 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 better people.
3: <laughs> yeah, he's not the engineer or the developer doing that. <laughs> The (laughs) day-to-day. Yeah. Man, I've seen you on social media uh,
1: a lot. You have some really good reels and whatnot. Something that i like to know is uh, what advice would you give to people looking to improve their online following and tips for content creation?
2: I would say the most important thing, and I kind of talked about it at the beginning, would just kind of be like your authentic self. Because um, like I said, when I first started out, I was trying to be some finance guru. I don't know why. It seemed like a cool thing to do. But just like kind of be your authentic self because like it will it will come out. It's um, so like I said, that post, that post was so popular because one, it, it, it's, it's literally like how I would talk to folks. It's just like, hey, don't blame the man that you can't afford the home of your dreams. Like blame yourself for buying a super expensive car so you can look cool at the, at the stoplight, right? Like that's your fault, <laughs> not like the... But, and so, like, I, I posted that way, but I was also throwing, like, my, my technical expertise into the post. So, like, be your authentic self and, you know, and stuff will, will come out. Also, like, you have to, like, start. Cause, like, as I kind of mentioned briefly, the first, like, I'm super, I'm super, like, introverted. Um, so, like, if you see me in, in person, not that you guys, but if someone to see me in person, I probably wouldn't say anything to them. Like, I'm the guy that's just in a, in a conference. Or in a a meeting, I'm just kind of like sitting there, kind of being to myself. Um, But like, so the first two years on IG, I didn't even show my face. And then all of a sudden, I just started posting reels and I got more comfortable talking and doing this and that. Um, I ended up working with um, some pretty cool creators. Like I took on one like kind of like free gig for somebody that's was a pretty big uh, um, content creator. And so I was making um, reels and stuff for him, and that's when I actually re- figured out how to kind of use all these programs, like uh, there's like InShot and CapCut, where you can edit your videos, put captions, and stuff like that. And so I, I took on like free um, roles with folks to to learn how to do stuff. But the most important thing is just to just to start. Like that's the only way you'll get comfortable. Is just to just to start. Like I, I gave the previous example, like I learned in the Navy, like no decision is a decision to stay the same. Like so every day. That you're deciding not to post, you're making a decision just to just to be who you are the day before. And so you can only get better if you start posting more stuff, and you'll start to fine tune what you what works for you, what your audience likes. You need to look at like your your stats and see what's resonating with your audience. Like I think a lot of times folks get caught up with with views on a post. To me, like when you're looking at posts and looking at data, some of the most the most important things I look at, I look at like likes, I look at like saves. Because shares are kind of like, uh, um, they're, they're kind of weird. Sometimes one person can share your post like with like 20 people via DM. And so those numbers may be But I look at likes and saves, how I analyze my data. And I look at the likes and saves in relation to the views. Because, you know, sometimes th- the algorithm will just kick out your, your post, your mediocre post. And so you'll have a post where it's like, hey, I got 10,000 views. But it's like, you only got 50 likes, right? So. Um, and you typically get like 30 likes, like typically you may get like 30 likes and 3000 views. Right. But if you all of a sudden IG kicks out your post um, to a bunch of people to see what's what, and you got 10,000 views, but now you only got like 50 or 60 likes. Did the post do well or did IG just kind of kick your post out there to see what folks thought of it? And folks didn't really think that much of it, which is why you got the same amount of likes as you did um, when you were getting a, the lower amount of views. And so, but on the other, the other, um, the other front, like a metric I, I use, is that once again is that that likes to views ratio. And so, I've had posts where the views have been disproportionate to the to the likes. Like it's almost like a a one to one ratio. And to me, like that tells me that for whatever reason, the IG gods didn't bless that post, but it did very well for the people that saw it. So just post that, just post it again. And so, like my most popular post, like I have a reel that has like like four hundred thousand views. I posted that thing four times. Because the people always liked it, but IG would not push it out for whatever reason. So the fourth time, so it went from like 8,000 likes, 8,000 views, 10,000 views to 12,000 views to the fourth time I posted it, it it, it got 400,000 views. Because finally, like IG was like, okay, the people like it. I guess we're going to show it to everybody Everybody now. And so looking at your data and then creating content as well. Because another thing that happens is if you buckle down and you're like, hey, I'm going to post two reels a day for the next three months. So Two, two rows a day for the next three months is 30, 60, 90, 180 posts, right? Yeah, something like that. And let, let's say you slack off a couple of days and you only do 160. What will happen is 10% of those posts will do well, right? And so 10% of 160 is, is 16. And so now you have 16 posts that you can post. You can just post again. Post those exact same posts again in two to three months. Because believe it or not, um, one most of your audience, well, most folks know this, but most of your audience does not even see your post to begin with. So um, the po- the folks that see the, when you post it two, three months later, folks that follow you didn't see the post the first time will see the post again. And honestly, folks that saw the post the first time, they'll just like it again because they they like the post again. So um, I've created enough content that a lot, there's sometimes whole weeks where I'll just post old content um, just because I want to take a break from making content. Um, but it, I can only do that because I, I, I buckled down and actually you know, did the did a solid three months of, of content for, I did like three posts a day for three months. So I had, uh, what is it? 270, something like that, 270 posts, something like that. And so, um, yeah, you just, you got to make content, you'll get better, better at it. You can just keep reposting the hits, um, to an, to an extent. So it gets easier as you, as you go along in the, uh, the content making process.
1: Appreciate it. I'm over here writing notes and whatnot. And, um, <laughs> so I, I, I appreciate the information. I'm sure a lot of business owners and whatnot can use information as well.
3: Yeah, that's interesting then how like you say you know keep reposting it like that. And you know, that just incrementally like goes up and then just that last one just shot up, you know. Yeah. Um uh, switching to the so for the last question, um real estate will keep it there. Uh how can real estate reduce the wealth gap?
2: Uh because real estate caused the wealth gap, right? And so um, <laughs> you know, the reason that you know some folks are are so far ahead is like due to real estate. You know, most folks their network is. Is in real estate. So if we look back, um, so I would have to even look, we can go back, back, back. We would just look back to the, to the uh, way back in the day in the, in the 1900s, you know, um, you know, we look at like at red line, you know, um, people of color were just weren't allowed to buy properties. Like it was literally government policy, like, um, that the federal housing administration FHA would not loan to people in certain areas of the country. And so people just couldn't, couldn't buy property. And so if you think, think about it, uh, now I give the, uh, example there was the um Bruce Beach that um Bruce Beach in, in California which the um Cali gave back to the ancestors oh, yeah. of yeah, of the uh people so if you don't know that story so basically back in 1914 this couple bought this um resort on on Bruce Beach it was because there was not like an area for like there's not like a hotel for or a resort for for black people in that area of California to to go to so they were like okay We can't go to your resorts. We're going to build our own thing. You know, great. And so they they built it there. You know, as if anything happens during that that time frame, when folks start doing well, other folks get upset about it. And so in 1924, the uh, Manhattan Beach Council, they just took the property back. You know, before that, you know, like the KKK was out there and trying to harass people, but they wouldn't give up the property. But in 1924, the government just took it. They said, hey, eminent domain, we're going to take this property um, back from you because uh, we needed eminent domain. But what happened was that property just sat vacant for like 20 years, because um, of course they didn't need it. Um, the government didn't need it for anything. Then eventually they built like a parking lot next to it um, 20 years later. Then they built like a, a lifeguard house on it. So essentially they took this family's property just, just because. And so you could tell how much it was worth because when they returned it to the descendants, um, I think it was like in July of this year, they they so they didn't give it directly back to them um, because they couldn't just i guess kind of makes sense they couldn't give it right back to them right away, but they were like, "Hey, you own the property, but we're going to lease this property back to you for four hundred and seventeen thousand dollars a year so um you own the property, but the city of l a is going to own is going to lease it back from you for four hundred and seventeen thousand dollars a year, and we have the right to buy it back from you at some time within the next twenty years." for no more than $20 million. So if you look at that story, two things. So the the city of LA is saying their property is worth, their property completely undeveloped, just a a blank slot of land is worth $417,000. So if you're listening to this, I implore you to look up a picture of of, um, that land on Bruce Beach. What you see is a big open field and what are probably million dollar condos all up and down that, that beach side, right? And so a couple of things. Um, you know, generation wealth was stolen from that family because they could have built, they could have built million-dollar condos. They could have kept their resort. They could have done whatever they wanted to do on their property. And even like Cali is saying that, hey, um, their property is worth four hundred seventeen thousand dollars. So, just from a, just going back ten years, if they would have leased their property to California or whoever, that's four point one seven million dollars in in ten years that that family lost out on. Um, just because that family was unfairly, or that, that land was unfairly taken from uh, that family. And then Cali, they're saying that, hey, we'll buy it back for no more than $20 million. Um, I'm sure that land is worth way more than that, but that's just one small example of um, how that family you know, lost a bunch of generational wealth because real estate was just taken from them. And so now, uh, I'm not saying there's not issues now, but now you have the ability to to buy real estate and kind of build generational wealth um, with your family, you know one thing about buying property is it's worst case scenario, it's forced appreciation, right? And so, like I said, home prices always go up. They go up. They go. up, They go up. And so, worst case scenario, it forced you to at least you know save. Let, let's let's say you are going to let's say your mortgage payment is a thousand dollars and you're going to pay a thousand dollars for for rent. I'm not in the camp of renting and throwing away money um so don't confuse my, my words here but when you're renting that $1000 is gone at the end of the month at least when you're paying a mortgage you know initially a bunch of it goes towards interest but at least Hey, $200 is going towards paying down that principal and then the longer you are in the property you know the more and more principal goes towards you know um towards that mortgage and building equity pe- equity by paying down the mortgage and then you build equity by the home price increasing right and so Worst case scenario, buying a home is 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 for savings. But if you look at history, um, generation, the wealth gap exists because certain folks couldn't own properties. And so, now my last example is so my uh, late Nana, who fortunately I can't, I don't, so I'm not sure if she bought it um, outright a home in D.C. like in the 70s, but I know my parents purchased it from her. Like 20, 30 years ago, or was helping making a mortgage payment. Not sure how it was actually purchased, but she bought this home in D.C. in in nineteen seventy, um, a, a corner lot home, a, a town home. And I remember walking, I remember going to that home in the in the nineties and walking past that house. And there was like drug dealers, there was like graffiti in the alleys, there was all sorts of um, unsavory stuff going on. I went back to that property like seven eight years ago, and now there's a Whole Foods on the corner. There's three thousand dollar. Um, studio apartments on that same block. There's like a, a, um, a, a what do you call a thing? A park like across the street. And so I've never looked up that, what that property is worth um, because my, my parents own it now and I just think it would be according to look it up. But um, I'm, I'm almost positive that that home has got to be worth close to a million dollars. Just from based on what I know, the rents, those studios are going for like $3,000. And it's, it's smack dab in the middle of DC, Whole Foods on the corner. And how did, how did that happen? Because they purchased the home um and basically just just sat on it for you know two three years so when we talk about like gentrification and getting this displaced, um if you own the property like you can't you can't get displaced like someone can't come in i guess the government can but a civilian can't come in and move you out of your property if you own that property so um buy, buy land uh sit on it um pay the rent and just just watch it go up because you need some place to live it's not like it's a um, um not to diss anybody, but not like it's an nft or something you don't really necessarily need like you need a place to live so you might as well Um, put some money towards building some uh, some equity in that in that home
3: yeah that's some good stuff I uh I I saw the uh oh man I think it came on the news like 60 minutes or something about that uh that beach thing yeah and that whole yeah I was like wow that (laughs) just to think of I bet that's happened all across the country you know that we had no idea
2: I was talking to to my friend about that and he was like yeah no 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 do it everywhere else because yeah there's that was a high profile case, but there's there's cases like that, you know, all probably thousands of, you know, of cases like that all throughout the country where folks had their their land taken and just can't do, can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I've heard it in passing. It's uh, kind of seen mention of that story, but that's that's the most detail I got from it. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure our listeners and viewers will appreciate that as, as well. because That was very interesting to me. Like, yeah. so if,
2: if anything, just look at the picture and you'll yeah. be able to see like the stark difference between like the city did absolutely nothing with that property and just folks built million dollar real estate all around that uh area that they took from that that family. Basically, we don't have anything to do with it, but you, you can't have. it. So. right, right. Yeah, yeah.
3: yeah.
2: Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's essentially that's essentially what it, what happened. Yeah.
3: And then they put a cap on it, like buy no more than twenty. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just
0: gonna see if we had any other questions. I I um uh, I think we pretty much touched on on everything, Dave. You did uh Fantastic job, man, talking about the real estate and tiny and other stories, educating educating us on the, uh, what, what is it called again? So we can have our listeners and myself look it up. Uh, oh, Beach. the
2: Bruce Beach, that we're we talking about?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, Bruce, yeah, Bruce Beach out in, uh, out in uh, Cali, LA area.
3: And, uh, please go ahead and plug uh, your stuff in the uh, Coins and Culture, House Ridge. Uh, where can people find you? What do you have going on?
2: Yeah, so check me out. Um, go to uh whether you whether whatever you do um instagram or, or tick tock uh, i do a lot more i guess i do stuff on both but i'm a little bit bigger on instagram but go to uh coins and culture the word coins the letter in the word culture and you'll you'll find me on, on ig there from there you know you can go to my link tree um and you can find like uh, my my podcast my youtube channel and my, my facebook group as well so i have a facebook group it's called first time home buyer school um so i started like two weeks ago but and there i do uh, live trainings every Tuesday at 8 PM, Eastern standard time on, uh, various mortgage topics. So if you're looking to get into the, getting some more detail on the home buying process, jo- definitely join that, that, uh, Facebook group I have there. Um, and yeah, check out the podcast, check out the YouTube channel. Cause I go a lot more detail into news stories are mostly like mortgage guidelines. And, uh, um, there should be something there on how to, if you're looking to buy your first home, there should be definitely something there between those three channels to, uh, help you move along your way. But uh yeah just go to my IG or you can uh if you're listening on the podcast I guess you can type in house rich to real estate show it'll be a picture of me uh holding my uh my hat in my my hand or something like that. <laughs> I'm trying to describe because there, there's like a couple of things called like house rich but uh it's the one it's the one picture that looks like what you think it looks like it looks like me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but trust me you'll know you'll see it because there's other pictures you be like oh, I don't think he looks like that. i uh, should just, like, oh, just leave it like that. It's the one that looks like me. So
1: keep it real man thank you thank you dave I drops a lot of great information really appreciate it well
0: thanks for having me it was great man uh and you you heard it here first people uh you, like he said in his youtube and his uh post he has a lot more detail and and you heard just how much he was giving us today and how fantastic it was so go ahead and give him a listen go look him up coins and culture and house rich the one that looks like him <laughs>
3: right. yeah appreciate you for coming on man uh I- Shout out to the parents again.
2: Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Most
3: definitely. <laughs> all right. All initiators, please go check him out. Uh, he has
1: several platforms to look at. Um, also, if you would, look at our Instagram, look at our Facebook, look at our Twitter. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Black Financial Initiative. You can find us on Twitter at BFI dash, or excuse me, BFI underscore podcast. So thank you to all initiators. And thank you, Dave.
3: Oh, Thanks for having me again.
1: Peace.